getting tired of me. <clears throat> now we're going to continue with the Sermon on the Mount series. Although uh, in the month of July, next starting next Sunday, we're going to be taking a break from that and be talking about serving, uh, serve Sundays, uh, and focusing through the mouth throughout the month of July on and developing your personal uh, ministry and how that how you can be uh, plugged in here at the local church and serving. So um, today we're continuing with the sermon and looking at Matthew 6. Uh, oh, that's the wrong one. How did that happen? Dun, dun. They need to load the other, other notes. I will. Let me know when you when it's ready. You know how to do it. You have to download the other. Um... So what I'm going to do is just start teaching it from uh, my notes. We're looking at uh, Matthew six verse five through eight, and it says, "When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites." For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So last week, we began talking about uh, religious duties or religious acts. And if you remember, um, uh, uh, chapter 5 focused on lifestyle behaviors. We talked through, or Jesus uh, was discussing how kingdom righteousness differs from Pharisaical legalistic righteousness, and it also differs from uh, heathen, non-Christian, non-faith-based lifestyles. And so he's comparing and contrasting those two different extremes with how he expects his disciples... Are we good? There we go. How he expects his disciples to live. There we go. Um, And and uh, last week we looked at... Um, the acts of righteousness, in other words, uh, behaviors. Uh, chapter 5 began with discussing things we were to avoid, but now he's talking about things that we're to practice. And as uh, disciples, there are certain uh, uh, duties or behaviors that we do simply because we're a believer. And so religious duties are intentional acts motivated out of our belief system. And, you know, it, it's kind of a tricky word the, when we use the term religious because we're kind of conditioned as Christians in, this, in, the, in our culture to, to talk like Christianity is not just a religion. And we, we've actually made religion a bad word. Like religion is religious people. And we're not religious people. We're Christians. <laughs> but uh, that really doesn't make much sense if you're talk, talking to an atheist or an agnostic who just, they're like, you just really sound silly. 
because you are practicing a religion. Okay, you have a, a faith that you believe. You have things that you do that religious people do, like go to worship services. You have a God you worship. You have a holy text. Does this, you know, you do a whole bunch of stuff that's all religion. And you know, Christianity is a religion, and religion is really good. Okay, um, <clears throat> but we need it can't. The idea of having religion without relationship is what we mean by uh, not being religious okay? and relying just on the outwardly. But uh, uh, the flip side of that is that you can't just say you have a relationship and not have any outward demonstration of it. Okay? And so Jesus is talking about the outward demonstration and how religious behaviors, religious acts are to be done as kingdom representatives. We talked about giving charitable uh, donations last week, and now he turns his attention to uh, prayer. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to look at oops, there we go, uh, prayer, and he begins with a negative example, and the negative example in verse 5 says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Or as the message puts it, and when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making their regular show out of their prayer, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? And of course, Peterson's way of, of making the verse, uh, you know, sting a little bit. <laughs> uh, the idea of hypocrites, the word literally means actors, and it could have been translated actors. And so it's the idea of putting on a show. But Jesus is, is primarily talking about the motivation. What's your motivation? And their motivation, or that type of prayer motivation, is just to be seen or heard by others. And again, we don't see this in our culture. We don't see people standing on the street corners uh, praying. But as Christians, we may struggle with this. Actually, I find most Christians struggle with praying out loud. Uh, the, the majority of Christians in a group are so intimidated. They don't, they don't want to violate this, I think, or they just feel so shy that they have a, they, it's a big deal just to say something out loud. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be motivated from fear either. <laughs> um, uh, the idea of, uh, of, of making your prayers sound grandiose for the sake of others, it's just not necessary. Jesus is saying, don't worry about that. Don't, don't do that, and certainly don't be motivated just to be heard or seen by others. Uh, the motivation is not to draw attention to yourself. And the reward that Jesus uses, they'll have their reward, is the same word that was used concerning hypocrites and charitable giving. In other words, if, if that's your motivation, then you're going to get, that, the attention you get is all the rewards you'll have. Uh, and you can't really expect anything else from God if that's the motivation when you go into prayer. The next negative example, we're going to skip a, a verse and go down to the next negative example and look at that and then go back, is, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. <clears throat> or in the message again, it says, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. And I think the idea there that stands out is, is formulas and programs and techniques. 
And there are things that we can use to help make us better prayers. You know, there's, there's different things that you can learn to, to order your prayer life. And those are beneficial. But if it's just a formula, it's not going to work. You know, you, you can't just think that if you say the right words or if you say it enough, that's that's all that's all it takes. That's not how God works. It's nonsense in the in the, in the words of the message. <clears throat> and he talks about Gentiles. Jesus uh, talks about Gentiles, and and, and the, the word. If you're not familiar with that word, and, and for his audience, the people who were listening to Jesus, it was very clear. There were two kinds of people. There were Jews, and then there was Gentiles. And Gentiles were everyone else. Not of uh, not Hebrew, not of the lineage of Abraham, um, but the word means in general pagans or alien to the worship of the true God. People who don't are not connected in worshiping God for who He is in the way, in the order, in the manner that He has called us to worship, or people that are living a heathen lifestyle, practicing ungodly lifestyles. So now it's interesting that Jesus doesn't have a problem. Calling the hypocrites hypocrites and calling the heathens heathens. All right? And, and let's just take a minute and, and think about Jesus Christ, the, the, the one full of love, you know, the one who never offends. No, you know what? In his audience, listening to them, there were both heathens and hypocrites, without question. He was talking to the disciples, but there was a multitude there. And so he doesn't have a problem uh, addressing that. Now, that doesn't make him less loving or a, a, a name caller. He's not calling them names. He's, he's speaking, actually, truth in love. He's addressing this because it's important. And his motivation is love. And so uh, people that are living hypocritical or people that are living uh, heathen practices, both of those are destructive. They're not productive. They're not how, not the lifestyle, not the type of prayer, not the type of religious activity that's going to get you anywhere with God or enable you to live free and be benefit. And it's motivated out of love that he's, he's willing to actually say, no, that is heathen. That is ungodly. Or that is hypocritical. Don't do it that way. Right? Kingdom living requires coming out of ungodly and hypocritical lifestyles and into a lifestyle that's characterized by intimacy with our Heavenly Father. So there's a clear call uh, uh, in Jesus' sermon to change. Don't be that way, but instead be this other way. And so Jesus doesn't have a problem identifying what needs to be changed. Okay, this, uh, continuing with the second... Uh, uh, prohibition uh, and not praying like the Gentiles. This is from a commentary um, by the name, a guy named France. He says, This is not a prohibition either of repetition in prayer, and that some translations put it vain repetition. And that's, he says, in some translation, is unwarranted. In other words, that's not a great translation of the actual Greek word that's used. Jesus himself uh, uh, repeats himself in prayers. I looked up Matthew 24. 2644, and it actually says in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying and he goes checks on his disciples and they're sleeping and he wakes them up and it says he goes back and prays saying the same words. 
So it actually says that he, he says the same words over and over. So repetition in prayer in and of itself is not what's wrong. Um, or set forms of prayer, because the next verse, and what we'll look at next in the Sermon on the Mount, is the, is the Lord's Prayer, our Father which is in heaven. You know, and that's a form of prayer that Jesus introduced, and we, the Christians have been using it for 2,000 years. All right, So it's not uh, forbidding that, but rather thoughtless mechanical prayer is, is what's being uh, forbidden. It's not many words that God responds to, but an attitude of prayerful dependence. Uh, and then another resource that I thought was helpful, Life Application Bible says concerning this verse, it says, repeating the same words over and over like a magic incantation is no way to ensure that God will hear your prayer. And that is something I think we do struggle with because it's easy to fall into the idea that if I just say it the right way, then God will hear it. And, and if we're praying a prayer and our prayers are not answering, sometimes we, this is just a natural human way to think. I must, I must be doing something wrong. So maybe if I say it a different way. It's like kids going to their parents. You know, Dad, can I, can I play an extra half hour on the Xbox? No. Dad, I was thinking, you know, since I did you know, extra chores today, you know, maybe I could have a little more time. No. <laughs> you know, they'll reward it 15 different ways. Uh, and that's just, that's not the way. It's, it's, it's an immature way to understand prayer. And it actually falls into, and I believe Christians, I have, I've experienced it my own self. There's a season where I, I realized that I was just saying things, and I was thinking of prayer more like magic spells. You know, that if I say the right thing, I can have power over circumstances. Huh? If I say it in Spanish, it has more power. That's actually true. <laughs> and the nombre de esos. <laughs> um, but, sorry, <laughs> I got saved in a Hispanic church, so that's how I learned. Uh, and boy, when they said it, things happened. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so prayer is not magic. It's it's relating. It's coming to God. It's coming to a person. It's not wrong to come to God many times with the same request. Jesus encourages persistent prayer, but he condemns the shallow repetition of words that are not offered with a sincere heart. We can never pray too much if our prayers are honest and sincere. Before you start to pray, make sure you mean what you say. And whenever I read this, I think of other cultures, especially in Hindu-Buddhist cultures. They have things called prayer wheels uh, and prayer flags and um, these little things that they hang in the temples. And they think that just by writing the prayer and hanging it there, their prayer is presented before God. Or a prayer wheel, uh, it's usually a thing you spin and when you come up and spin it, then that's then the gods that they believe in are, respond to that. And so, just as a religious duty, they'll they'll spin the wheel or they'll hang flags. If you go to India or other Hindu countries, you'll see these colorful flags. Well, those are actually prayer flags that they are communicating to spirits, um, and they believe that that's how they communicate to spirits. And it has nothing to do with what's in their heart. They just if they do these things. Or you see these taxi drivers in foreign countries that have all this religious paraphernalia, and this can be Muslim or Hindu or whatever, 
and you know, <laughs> smoking cigarettes and cursing and drinking and whatever, you know, and who knows what they're doing. But it's the religious paraphernalia that they think is going to keep them from getting in car accidents. Um, <clears throat> and so Jesus is saying, you know, that's not really the way to communicate with an almighty God. Uh, so uh, we need to be sincere and re- understand that it's a relationship that we're developing. So here's a positive example. It says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door uh, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Or in the message, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. So sometimes even when you're alone, you role play. You think if you say it in a particular way. You get in a prayer posture, or you just need to be real. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. I love that. Just come before God as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. And that's the place of prayer. That's the type of that's kingdom prayer. When the focus is on God, when you're being honest and simple before Him like a child in a loving relationship with a father. This is your father you're dealing with. He knows better than you what you need. Um, <clears throat> so this word closet, the, the disciple by contrast is not out in the public and just to get attention, but is to go into a closet or it, that word can be translated storeroom. And let's just think about what it means uh, what Jesus was saying, when Jesus used that room, that word, closet, the, the Hebrew, uh, the, uh, probably said it in the Aramaic first, or the Greek word that's uh, written in, in the Bible, specifically meant an inner room. It was secluded. It was most likely windowless and probably the only lockable door in the house. It is thus proverbial for a secret place. The reason it was the only lockable door was because that's where they kept their valuables. That's where they kept their their, their, their food pantry, okay? That's where they stored their, their whatever precious items that they had. It was the storehouse. Uh, and Jesus said, go into your storehouse. Uh, think of your prayer closet as your storeroom, okay? As your storehouse. Uh, the place where valuables are kept, where food is stored, where you can go and get what you need. Okay, if that was a room in your house where everything you needed, that's where it was, you would say, if I need something, I go into the storehouse and get it. Right? And then I come back out and I serve it. Or if I need money to go buy something or to get something I need, I go into the storehouse and I go out and, and purchase it. And Jesus is saying, that's what the prayer closet is. Someplace private, someplace secure, but someplace that's full of valuable stuff. Not an empty, barren place. Often we think of a prayer closet as, you know, some empty room where there's nothing in there but some dust. You know, maybe we'll light a candle and it's kind of scary in there. <laughs> no, think of it as a, as a pact, uh, as a place of treasure, a place of abundance. Because that's what prayer is. That's really what it is. It's a place that we can go into the prayer closet and whatever we need, we can ask the Father and there's riches there's whatever uh, we need to make it through life we can get in that place of prayer. There's abundance. Is that good? Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, all Christians should have a secret life. In fact, they should have a secret intimate affair. 
And Jesus tells us what that is. Our secret life should be an intimate relationship with the Father. You need to nurture that secret place. You know, it says the Father who is in secret and sees in secret. What does that really mean? God who is in secret. He's a secret agent. What does it mean? I mean, we read that so many times as Christians, you hear that, and you just go, well, that means he's invisible. No, I think it's a little more than that. He's in secret. I think part of what that means for me is that Jesus is saying that whoever you are or whatever you do in public is meaningless if it's not consistent with what is going on in your secret life. So public displays of whatever is meaningless if, if what happens when no one's looking, if it's not consistent with that. Does that make sense? Because that's because God is more concerned. He dwells in the place of secret where, where only where He sees and no one else can see. So if you want to find God, if God is in the secret and you want to find God, you'll have to find Him in the secret place of your life. Now you can go to a public meeting and, and when we have a public meeting like this or a big conference, because... There's so many people who have nurtured the presence of God in their secret place. There's a greater level of the awareness of God in a place that's public. And you can come in and experience God in a public place, but not have Him in your secret place. And then you go back home and you can't find Him in the secret place because you haven't developed an awareness. You haven't welcomed Him into your secret place. Does that make sense? And so that's why in a public meeting and worship meeting and corporate worship is a great place to find what we're... It's, it's a place that we, we experience what we should learn how to nurture privately. And ultimately, we're all privately called to nurture that. So when we come together, we build each other up. So you need to find God in the secret place. Now, God, because that's where God dwells. Now, if your secret place is actually full of corrupt stuff, or ungodly stuff, destructive stuff, if it's filled with sin, if your secret place has pornography or, or gossip or, or um, uh, dishonesty or pride or uh, uh, being obsessed with yourself, selfishness, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Fear. If your secret place is, is uh, just dark and dingy, guess what? You know where you need to find God? You need to find God there. In the midst of all of that. Okay? In the midst of... You can't get all of that cleaned up before God comes. Because He's the cleaning service. You can't clean it without Him. That's why it's all there. But you can say, God, in the midst of this, I come to You and I bring it simply and honestly. This is who I am. Come into my life, into that. Come into that. And, and then He'll begin to take those things that are, that are contrary to His will out of your life and give you what you really long for that will fulfill those things that are, are imposters or those imitations. So when you invite God into your secret place and let Him sort that out, then you'll begin to see Him 
reward you outwardly. I think that's what Jesus is saying, that when, you're vi- when your relationship with God is vibrant personally, in- intimately, uh, then you'll get an outward reward. It's, it's meaningless to t- keep God on the outside and keep all the other junk hidden on the inside. Uh, we can't do that. God just doesn't operate that way. <clears throat> and then the ESV continues on and says, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And this is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. So part of what Jesus is telling us, and this is all preparatory to the Lord's Prayer that we're going to look at uh, later, uh, is, is coming into prayer with an understanding that we're approaching our Heavenly Father that knows exactly what we need. And this applies whether we tend to be hypocritical or tend to be paganish, whether we tend to just put on a show or tend to just do things without meaning or uh, empty phrase prayer. The understanding that, wait, both of those don't really count, don't, don't make it with God because He's a Father that loves us and He already knows uh, what, he, what we need. Jesus is telling us that prayer is communication with an omniscient God. So that means... Prayer, listen, prayer is not for God's sake. You don't have to say it right so that God hears. He already knows. You don't have to tell God anything. He knows everything. So when you approach God in prayer, come with that in mind. Lord, You know all things. You know this situation better than me. Okay, But this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. Prayer is for our sake. It, 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 it enables us to have our secret life rooted, founded in our relationship with Him. Um, communication and shared experience is the way to develop any relationship. Okay, Any relationship. Relationship with a spouse, relationship with kids. It's through communication and shared experience. Well, that's what prayer enables you to do with your Father. So if you see prayer not as a means of getting something from God, but rather as a way to share your life and the most intimate parts of your life with your Heavenly Father, then you'll discover the reward. And Jesus says there's a reward. There's a reward for developing right prayer life. And it will be outwardly displayed. <clears throat> Alright? Um, so, Jesus describes prayer as this, this secret dialogue that uh, develops intimacy in our relationship with God. And you can... Apply this verse, and it's a right thing to set aside a place and time for prayer. So this is just literally finding a place where you can be alone. Now, almost everyone says they pray. Every study, every survey has the same conclusion. Everybody says they pray every day. But I know that even many Christians don't really pray very much. Or they think they pray because it's just it's like drive-by prayer. You know, you're driving down the road and God this and God that. And yeah, I pray every day. And those are good. It's really important. In fact, I'm going to talk about it next. But you need to set aside time every day where you just focus on Him. You know, if I only talk to my wife when it concerned getting stuff done. Like, we got to get the kids here. we got to go grocery them. Did you buy shampoo? we got to get this. And, and if she only talked to me that way, um, what kind of relationship would we have? You know, it was just functional. You know, I get this done. Yeah, it would become dysfunctional. Right? There has to be time where I just spend focused attention 
where I'm just talking to Kathy about Kathy and Kathy's just talking to Cameron about Cameron and we set aside the other things. Same thing with your relationship with God. You have to spend time every day and begin with just a few minutes if that's all you can do. Um, but listen, the way to learn how to pray longer is to pray longer. If it's hard for you to pray five minutes, then, then, then set aside a 30-minute time period where you're going to do nothing but pray. And after you do that, praying five minutes is easy. If you've never prayed for 30 minutes, pray for an hour. Just set aside a whole hour. No distractions. Turn off your phone. You're alone. Uh, and then the next time you go to pray for five or ten minutes, it's really easy. Because, boy, actually it's done before you know it. Uh, and you can keep this up. Do 12 hours. I've done this. Do a 12-hour period. Clear your schedule. Make an appointment from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. You're going to be alone. You're going to be seeking God, praying and reading Scripture, doing nothing else. Um, and it's powerful. And you maybe get bored in the middle of that. That's okay. But you're going to do it. You're going to push through and you're going to find a deeper way. After you do something like that, then the next time you go to pray 30 minutes, it's like, that's easy. I've done all of this. Pray for three days. Pray for three days nonstop. Sleep or prayer. That's all you do. And then praying for 12 hours is easy. This is just how it works. Okay? It doesn't mean you, now those kind of things are you know retreat things that you do special, but they are. They really, really work, and they, they free you up so that <clears throat> you can pray. Now it also applies to the figurative idea of having a secret place that you can carry with you wherever, and that's just a secret dialogue. Uh, where you share every moment and every experience with Him. You know, God's already there. No matter what you're experiencing, what interaction you're, you're dealing with, what problem you're having, He's already there. Bring Him into the conversation. All right? And if you don't think that's possible, think right now how often you are talking to yourself. All right? Throughout the day, you're carrying on a conversation. Or you're talking to someone else who isn't there. Like your spouse. How many times do I have to tell you that? You know, have you ever done that? <clears throat> you talk, you're, 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 yeah, you're, and they're going to say, but then I'm going to say, da, da, da. <clears throat> you're talking to your boss. You know, okay, when he says this, the next time he says this, I'm going to say this. And you're planning out this, you're having this, this, maybe that capacity, and that's often used in a destructive way, and we need to learn how to use that more uh, beneficial. But maybe that capacity for us to carry on inner dialogue is actually part of our makeup. I believe this is true. That we can have a conversation with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. Because He's here. He's already in us. All I'm saying is that private space of let's take every experience, make every experience an experience that you can share with the Father. And say, Father, what's your perspective on this? Uh, instead of complaining about it, pray without ceasing, like it says in First Thessalonians, and, and, and learn in those situations how you can hear His voice. And that makes your prayer closet experience bigger, but it also sanctifies all of those experiences. It sanctifies because it brings God into it. May have some announcements. God bless.